Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I am Greg, with you as always, and today we're going to be talking about one thing and one thing only. Then we're going to be talking about our game of the week, which I have already picked out in advance. We have a listener question, and then we're going to finish up. It might be a little shorter one this week, um, if uh, which I know I say a lot and then it ends up not being short, so maybe it won't be. But uh, I, I had a lot of work over the weekend, and I'm actually working today. Tomorrow normally is my day off because I do all the podcasting and videos. I'm off then. Uh, I'm working that actually all the way through and then I'm going out of town Thursday through Sunday. So the only day to do this is actually Monday night and I think I'm just going to put it up right away live. So you'll know, uh, like you'll probably see this early and be like, whoa, what the hell is going on? That's why uh, we're just doing it a little bit early. Um, so before I get into it, the one topic we are going to talk about is the future of gaming. <laughs> just just a little t- just a little thing, you know, the cultural shift in video games. Uh, what, what else? You know, what a big deal. Not a big deal. Actually, it is kind of a big deal, (laughs) not only for me personally and for a fan of games, but also as somebody who makes their livelihood and career off of uh, selling physical video games. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, which is the Google Stadia that they announced last week. And then just today, Monday, Apple announced their new service called Apple Arcade. So a couple of things and a little bit of news about apparently Walmart's exploring the idea of doing a game streaming service. So my God, it's getting worse. So, you know it's going to make some money if Walmart's looking into it. Uh, but anyway, so that's what we're going to talk about. That's our story. That's our only story for the day. So we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about our game of the week, which I have already picked out. We have a listener question, and then we're going to go. Uh, so before we begin the podcast, though, I wanted to share a little bit of store news. If by some chance you don't know, and you listen to this podcast, and, and you don't know me personally or haven't been in the store, um, I own a video game store. And yes, it is as awesome as you'd expect. It, it is my favorite uh, career. Uh, I've really only had one career, and that's a video game retailer, but I used to work for GameStop for many years, 11, uh, 11 years total. And now I have had my own store. We're coming up on our eight-year anniversary already. So I've been working video game retail for 19 years. It's been a hell of a ride. Hopefully there's 19 more years in it. But we'll see. Um, but I thought for the people that don't know that I do have a store, one thing I wanted to tell you about was this awesome trade I got in, which if you haven't seen it on Facebook, again, if you're a listener who's not familiar with my store, we got in 535 original Nintendo games. And it was it was like a, a collection for the ages. And it was a really cool lot that I was able to pick up. And, um, you know, it wasn't super cheap. That's the tough part about getting a huge collection like this is, you know, you got to pony up the bucks if you want something like this. Um, but it was uh, it was a good one. I mean, there wasn't a single double in there except for different label variants. So like Gold Cart and Grey Cart Legend of Zelda, a few things like that. Um, just an awesome collection. 535 individual games. It was awesome, and so I. But to get that processed and cleaned and ready to go on the sales floor, that's a lot of product to just infuse. I think our current NES section had something like maybe 120 games, so to 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 multiply that by four is very difficult to do because the the you know to to fit that onto your shelves is very difficult to do. We had to put a bunch of games in our rare gla- uh, rare game glass case. We didn't have room for that either. <laughs> it's like, ah, there's so much stuff. It's so hard sometimes. Um, but again, not going to complain about having a ton of great product. And it, it was really, really awesome. So we, so Friday, I got to the store at about 7.30 a.m. And I worked all the way until t- 11 p.m. So I was there that day for roughly 15 hours. And then Saturday, I got in at 8 o'clock, and I was there until 10.30 again. I was there until 10.30. So that was like 14 and a half. It was just unbelievable. It was like in two days, put in 30 hours of work. It was just 
man, I was just crushed afterwards. Sunday was like a recovery day uh, where I was off, thankfully. And that's when we put the post up. So, you know, my other guys, they were kind of in charge of the social aspect of it all. And, uh, like the, the, the social media pages and getting all the questions answered and getting holds for people calling people that we were holding games for all that stuff. And we got that all done. And then today just the madness continued, but it was, we're back to like a normal schedule minus me being off the weekend. So having to work today, tomorrow, Wednesday. So, but it was awesome. And it's like NES is such a tough system to get in now. And it feels like the area is starting to dry up a little bit. And then we just infused, you know, this 530 games into the area. And that just makes me so happy. And we know we're not making a ton of money on it. Like this, this lot wasn't always about making like hand over fist money. It was more like, let's bring in good product. We're still making money. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, old Greggy don't do things that don't make money. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, but, uh, so we're making money, believe me, but, uh, you know, we're also just like, we're willing to take a hit on the profit we make to, to bring in like this awesome bunch of stuff. So I was very, very happy and proud of that. Um, and, and so that was kind of my, the craziness of this week. And that was of course, after last week, which we had the dark Souls statues thing. And then my mini rant about the customers being annoying and, and like, and being upset. And the, the only thing I could say about this one, and I, I, if this person listens, you know, I just want to tell you, like, I'm not dogging on you, but someone left a comment because I had put a picture up of all the games, right? Because we had about probably about a hundred of the games. No, well, no, probably about 50 of the games were, were people that were on a call list. So we, we call them and we hold the game for them. That's just a service we offer. We offer it to anybody who'd ask. And so, so one person put a comment saying something like, oh, call lists are ruining everything. I'm like, that's not ruining anything. That's just a service we're trying to offer and help out. But there's always seem to be somebody who's like got to complain about something. It just sucks. You know, like it'd, it'd be nice if there wasn't always somebody unhappy, right? Like, like we literally sell fun for a living. So we're just trying to make people have more fun and be more fun. And so I hope in the future that we hold something for that person and they're, and they're happy. But uh, there's always somebody who somehow finds a way to be negative on a post about a whole bunch of positivity. <laughs> Um, all right. With that said, then I think we're going to just dive right into this, uh, dive right into the stadia talk. Cause there, there's, there's a decent amount of content here. Actually, I just got done recording the drop cast, um, which, and actually this is something, uh, if you're regular listeners to this podcast, it won't be this week's episode, but I think starting next week, I'm going to start putting the drop cast here on game talk radio. So if you're not interested in listening to Jordan, Jeremy, and I discuss video games and other things, then you don't have to listen to it, of course, and that'll be that'll be called the Dropcast. That's a different, um, that's a totally different show uh, that I'm a part of. Uh, but uh, it will be on here in case you're looking for some other game stuff that's similar. Now, I often will talk about something there though, and talk about it here, so you might have a little bit of overlap. But uh, there, it's different because you got three people talking, and Jordan and I talk about the games we've been playing throughout the week. We talk a little bit of news, but it's not quite the same format. Like we're not just picking a show, like or picking a news article, excuse me, like I do here and then talking about it and giving the pros and cons. Like that's more, we did talk a lot of news on there today specifically about stadia, but oftentimes we'll go on tangents about movies. We always talk about what games we're playing. So Jordan always talk about two or three rare indies. I was talking about Sekiro shadows die twice on there this time. So there's some really good content there and it's fun. 
um, it, it's a little bit different pace. I also call that like that's that's Greg after dark. So that is uh, unfiltered Greg. You will you will get me at my honest, uh, not suitable for work self, as opposed to Game Talk Radio, which is an all ages show. Anybody who comes into my store and talks to me would feel okay listening to the show. I think and it being appropriate for everyone. So, with that being said, I'm actually going to start the show now, and uh, and we'll get to it. So here we go. So first up on the podcast today, what we're talking about is a little itty-bitty thing that encompasses the entire future of possibly future of gaming. And so uh, it, Google Stadia, <laughs> it, it's, it's uh, to answer the question of the headline of the YouTube video, is Google Stadia and Apple Arcade the future of gaming? I can't say that those services are the future, but is this type of service going to be the future one day? I do believe that to be true. Now you can't ding me for being clickbait. So I just answered the question that was in the title. <laughs> but anyway, going on about it. So last week, Google had a had their big reveal of Google Stadia. If you don't know, um, I'll give you a quick rundown here. Google Stadia is Google's answer to streaming video game service. Um, now, this isn't what you think of when you think of Xbox Game Pass, uh, where you download a game by paying a service fee. You just download the game to your local machine. This is all, uh, this is all like either app or in web browsing gaming. So this is true streaming gaming. Like with Netflix, for instance, you don't actually download the TV show that you watch. The movie's playing on their servers, on their local storage. It's beaming you the signal, and you're beaming back commands through whatever device you're using. And so with movies, it's okay because there's not a lot of interactivity with the movies, uh, especially not um, precise button presses and such. So you don't have to worry about things like input lag, latency issues, stuff like that, which will be a very real issue for gaming. So the first thing, if you don't know, if you haven't seen any of my videos before, you may not know, I'm actually wearing my, my hoodie today. Um, I, I own a video game store. Um, I make my living off of selling used video games to people buying and selling that's that's my trade that's what I do for a living uh, I do this YouTube thing uh, for fun uh, and and for educational purposes to anybody who might be listening and so I the reason I want to give you that I want to preface with that and I also want to say I think this will be the future someday this type of service and I don't fear that service right so I, I don't think you should not make refrigerators so you don't give so you don't take away the milkman's job you know we have to i love technology we have to move forward with technology take it we have to go where we let it take us and so i don't fear the technology change and i don't fear that my whole business and livelihood might be affected by my hobby changing when i got into this business i understood the risks of that now the reason i wanted to preface my whole video here with that is because i don't have a lot of great things to stay to say about stadia and that doesn't have anything to do with me being a video game store owner. So I want to make sure that it's perfectly clear that everyone out there understands that this is my honest opinion as a gamer first and as a as a hobbyist and less so as someone whose livelihood depends on it. Because rightfully so, there are people who might work in the same industry as me who really fear something like this. And, and I'm not saying that this won't possibly affect me one day, but I'm very confident in my business model. And I'm very confident in my customer base and the products I do carry, which encompasses the last 40 years of video games. So worst case, if this takes over in five to 10 years, I'll still have 45 to 50 years worth of video game history to sell, buy and trade in my store. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, 
But with that being said, I've got some interesting, I've got an interesting take on Stadia and we'll talk Apple Arcade because it's, it's, I don't think we're quite ready for it yet. And so when I say that a lot of people have been talking and, and one of the biggest things people bring up is having to always have an internet connection. Now, a lot of the games we play, even with steam, you can go into offline mode with steam. You can, you, you can access games that you download physically to your computer. Usually if you're not connected online. With Google Stadia, you are, you have, it's just like Netflix. You know, you can't, I I don't want to say actually, I think you can download some things on Netflix for offline viewing now. There's a few options for that. But for the most part, you can't access any of the stuff when you're not permanently connected to the internet. Not even a one-time thing to like check in, but just a straight up always connected. If you lose connection, you lose streaming service and that's just how it works. And that's okay. I just don't think we're quite ready there, uh, ready for it yet. Now, a lot of people, uh, my point there was that a lot of people are saying, well, we got to talk about internet infrastructure. We still have issues with that in this country. Some people not getting the greatest speeds, some people not getting the most solid connections. Um, I live in, uh, Wisconsin. And so there's a lot of rural areas that have really garbage internet. Now they're making great strides towards that. And, uh, and with 5g coming up around the corner, it's going to be less and less likely that you don't have a solid internet connection. Now, on the flip side of that, <laughs> you will have things like data caps uh, in some areas. Now, the the one really good thing about all this, in my opinion, is that based on all of this, we now know that Google will be fighting like hell and lobbying for an open and free Internet with uh, free of data caps where we can max out speeds and open markets and things like that because it directly affects one of their programs. So that's good. That's all. That's a good thing. I'm not saying we're necessarily on the same team. I'm just saying that it's a good thing that us and Google have have a similar end goal, even though we may have it for different means. Uh, we're we're we're, we're um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of situation here with them, and that's good. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of lobbying power. That's excellent. So nothing wrong with that. But I think that's a legit issue that you can bring up and say that a lot of people don't have that access to that internet. But that's okay. This device doesn't have to be accessed by anybody. And if you're able to stream 1080p Netflix, they're saying that you're going to be able to stream this fairly well. And so, I again, I do believe that this is something like this could be the future one day. The all digital game future is coming. It will be here someday. I don't think it's next generation with the PlayStation and Xbox, although we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I think the Xbox actually will lean towards something like this. But PlayStation's going to do they're going to I think they're going to stay the course. They're going to make another console that takes Blu-ray discs. They're going to they're going to do they're going to crush it. They're going to have their exclusives. They're going to make really good hardware. They're going to they're going to do it. I think they're going to stick to what works for them. As opposed to Microsoft, which this whole generation, the last couple of years, they've been shifting focus to a different type of service, different type of program. And so we've got that issue. We've got the internet issue. It's there. A lot of people that have really good internet and areas that have really solid internet and have competition and have affordable prices, they don't see a problem with that. And quite frankly, if this service is really cool, I have really good internet. I might try it out. I, I have Xbox Game Pass. I've tried PlayStation Now. I'm like not opposed to something like this. But the first thing I want to talk about then is the pricing. Now, to be fair, this is all speculation. Google has not announced any information about pricing, but there's only really two pricing models that you can think of. And we're going to talk about the problem with both of those models. But the first one is that you're going to pay for each game you buy like Steam. You want to play a game, you have to buy it for $59.99. Say it's Assassin's Creed Odyssey, $59.99 for Assassin's Creed. And then you can stream it from any device you want anywhere in the world that has internet. (laughs) 
Cool. Okay, right? But that is even less ownership than buying a game digital is. Because you're not even you don't even have locally the files digitally on your computer. You're just having access to their servers. Their server goes down for a day. No playing games for you. Sorry, you know you can't play. So paying $60 for a brand new game that you don't you have you own even less of than if it was a digital only game, and that doesn't seem appealing to me. And I think you're going to be fighting I think a lot of people will fight against that business model. But that's the best business model to monetize for game developers. So here's the other side of it. So let's say instead they go to a subscription fee per month, which I think is actually more likely. Let's say they do the Netflix model. $15 a month gets you access to all of these games on Google Stadia. Okay. Okay. That that doesn't seem unreasonable, right? Hundreds of games for $15 a month. You can play them through any device that's hooked up to your TV. You can stream it through a Roku maybe even. That's awesome. I have no problem with that. That's probably the better model for consumers. However, that then has the adverse effect to developers. Because if if you look at services like Spotify and, and other streaming services like Netflix, Spotify, you know, Amazon Prime, those sort of things, typically the way the contract works is those companies, those developers or those company showrunners, they get paid like per minute viewed or per minute played or or per view or per download is something like how PlayStation Plus works with their free games download. So with all that said, the developer is going to make so much less money on a subscription model like that because what they'll do is they'll say, okay, let's take everybody's playtime. Let's say you had 1% of all the playtime with your game. We'll give you 1% of the profits. That's not very much. And that's certainly not as much as you'd make if you were selling the game outright. So there's this weird like balance of who's going to win. Are the Is Google going to screw over the developers at first to try to get the customers on the platform? Or are they going to screw the customers first to get the developers on the platform? And then the customers will come on the platform once the developers are here. It's a very interesting dynamic we have to consider and think about. And so if I really believe it's going to be a subscription model, and if it is, I don't know how the developers make money on that. So if you have indie developers, one-man teams, two-person two, two teams, three-person teams, they won't want to put their game on Google Stadia if they're only going to get paid a small fraction of their game. Their game might only be five hours long, and it might be a play once and you're done. The, the games that will dominate Google Stadia will be the long, lengthy games, the multiplayer games. And so you might see a serious lack of indie developers. Now, you could argue that Google Stadia may not be for the hardcore gamer. Google Stadia seems to be more for the people that are on any device, the mobile gamer, the non-gamer, and it's going to reach everybody. But are the people that you're trying to reach that way, is that the everybody, are they going to play a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Are they going to pay $60 for Odyssey? I don't even think they know what Assassin's Creed is. They want to play different types of games. They want to play that mobile game experience. They want to play that quick game experience. They don't really want the in-depth nature of a lot of these games. So indies would appeal more to them, but indies won't want to be on the platform. So I see that as a problem. And Google can make all the games they want, and if they have some amazing you know, first-party stuff that, that only they have access to, that's great. Um, but I don't see how, I don't see how they'll have enough software to do that. So that, that's my issue kinda with, with that process. Here's the other side of it that I think is a really big thing to worry about. The other side of it is, imagine the big developers now, the big AAA publishers, EA, you know, Activision, all these guys. 
So imagine them and they say, well, we're not really making any money off of this time played because it's so minuscule. So let's make our game free. And then we're going to put microtransactions in it. And so we already know that this is a business model that a lot of, a lot of them like to do anyway, but we're going to, I think on this service, if it's a, a monthly payment streaming service, you're going to see this, this model of free games with microtraction, microtransaction buy-ins. And I don't think that's good for us. Um, I don't, I don't like that style game personally. And again, that might appeal to a casual crowd though, but that'll fundamentally shift like a lot of games. Now they may only make them for this platform, but think how weird that would be. Like, would you pay $15 a month for Stadia if you only got these weird kind of offshoot, not main games? Because there's, they still want to sell a game for 60 bucks with microtransactions to be fair. They want both. I mean, right now EA and Activision are, are like, you know, putting their fingers in both pies. They don't want one or the other. They're doing both. So I don't see how Stadia's pricing model helps developers and publishers and is customer friendly at the same time. It might be. Again, we don't have any information, but that's what I kind of see as being a problem with Stadia at this time is it's just, I don't think we're quite there. And it's not just that we're not quite there. The industry is not quite there. We've got companies like we're going through a really weird indie revolution over the last like 10 years or so where these AAA studios are making these huge AAA games that almost aren't able to make the money back that it takes to make them and advertise for them. So some of the more profitable games and companies are these single people teams that are doing really well. If Stadia doesn't appeal to them to make them money as a developer, we won't see them making those games. It might reverse this kind of indie focused trend that we have. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying it's possible. And, and I would hate to see innovations stifled by a platform that doesn't appeal to these like indie games, these kind of artsy indie brilliance. And I'm not saying every game needs to be artsy and, and brilliant. Jordan loves his artsy independent games. And that's great. I love them occasionally. I still love the AAA experience. So it's, it, it, you know, I'm kind of a both gamer. And, and so not every game has to be like a beautiful piece of art, um, but it has to be fun. That's like what makes a game literally a game is it's fun, interactive fun. And so with Stadia, I don't know how we get there. And, and so while, again, I want to reiterate, this isn't coming from a place of fear and being a game collector. Like I have my green screen up so you can't see it, but I've got thousands. I mean, I've got over a thousand games in my collection, retro going all the way back to Atari, all the way up to PS4. I love collecting something. Us as humans, we like collecting things. Most people um, like collecting things. So this all like on PC. Now the PC gamers, we, we've already been accustomed to not owning our games. Like we own the rights to play them, but we don't actually physically own the game. But then you have services like GOG, which got very popular because not only were they selling you the game at a fair price or even cheaper, they were offering you a DRM free version to download and keep forever. So that is basically like owning a physical copy of the game when you burn it to a piece of media and then you store that. Like you have access to that later, an offline access to that product later. And so even recently with the PC market, there's still a little bit of pullback on this all digital sort of future. And again, I don't fear this future. I know it's coming and it'll be great when it gets here and it's perfect. But this kind of seems like the growing pains. Now, an interesting bit about Stadia uh, and I don't know how true, like, the leak part of this is. But it, the actual memo 
seems to be accurate that Microsoft, and this is an interesting tidbit. So Phil Spencer, head of Xbox division, basically put out a memo to the Xbox team because after the Google Stadia announcement, he obviously felt like he needed to motivate his team. And how he motivated his team on Xbox, on the new Xbox system, was to an internal memo that basically stated that we feel like now that Google's doing this streaming service, we feel validated in what we're doing and we can't wait for E3 to show it off. Now, simply by those words, you would assume what they're saying is that they too are doing a streaming service. We know that they've got this xCloud gaming service they've been working on. We're going to finally see the fruits of that labor at E3. So I could see them saying, well, look, if Google Stadia can do it, we can do it. However, <laughs> I think his confidence is a front because I will tell you, I don't think Microsoft knew Google was going to get into this game at this time. And so I have a feeling that Microsoft thought they were separating themselves from the pack, separating from Nintendo, separating from Sony, so that they could have their own exclusive streaming game service. Be the first. Be the best. And then Google comes out and just craps over their whole plan by saying, by the way, we're like a huge billion dollar company too, and we're getting into game streaming. And so it'll be interesting to see. It's almost like Microsoft in trying to step out from Sony and Nintendo <laughs> it's a little bit of out of the frying pan into the fire sort of situation. You're not competing with those anymore. And now you're competing with a bigger fish. <laughs> so it's, it's like your situation went from bad to really bad. Uh, but it is what it is. <laughs> so um, it's funny because this, this is ultimately the future of playing video games, which is really weird, you know, to like think about It's really weird to talk about because the future of video games, like it, I, I often am quoted in my story of saying the PlayStation 1, to me, was the last time that gaming fundamentally changed. And I yes, I know you can argue the Saturn came out first, but just bear with me here. Everything since the PS1 has basically been the same thing, except with better graphics and updated media. PS1 could play music CDs, had 3D graphics, and a controller. The PS4 plays Blu-ray movies, plays games, and has a controller. Yes, the controller's wireless now. But this, the idea is the same, but the graphics got better. Well, we're reaching that point now where graphics can't really get any better. We're looking on higher resolutions. We're working on better frame rates. But for the most part, that's a power thing. It's not that it's we're not capable of doing that. You know, that's not the same as like having the tools to and, and the file sizes available to make realistic looking character models and textures. And so, you know, once we get to that point, it's like, well, where do we go from here? This is essentially the next fundamental shift. I know we talk about VR a little bit. VR, I think, is always going to be a side story to gaming. It'll never be the way we play games. This has the potential to be the way we play games forever in the future. I just don't think we're quite there yet. But we need companies like this to lay the groundwork for the better ideas that will come later. And the other companies to do it better later. Um, you know, inventors are not often the ones who make the money off of it. It's often the entrepreneurs that take a great invention and learn how to turn it into a great idea and a great product that are the ones who typically make the money doing it. But you need the innovators. And so I give them credit for trying. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just, I'm having a hard time getting behind it. And again, I reiterate, it's not because I own a used video game store and I'm a game collector. I just don't see how this is successful with either of the two pricing options out there. So then you ask, well, how's it any different with Microsoft and their xCloud gaming service? 
Well, the only difference with Microsoft is that they're going to have a ton of exclusives you can only get there. They've, in fact, been spending all this money buying studios to put exclusives on their software platform. So instead of having to buy an Xbox and then buy their games, you'll just have to buy their games. Now, how that's going to work, I don't know. I don't think Microsoft's ever going to do a monthly subscription service. I think you'll still buy their games. Well, I guess they could do a monthly service. But I don't know. But again, it, the, we fall into the same trap. I just don't think we're quite there yet. Not to mention that you're kicking out one of the biggest retailers in the entire world, Walmart. You're kicking out the exclusive uh retail gaming company GameStop you're cutting out Best Buy you're cutting out all these companies that have been physically selling your games for you for years and I don't even think right now I don't have the numbers up here um, on the screen or anything but I don't even think that digital sales have surpassed physical sales so if the next generation is all digital how do you expect to do better than you did this generation when you can't even pass physical on this current generation you know, I think Sony, like I said, is going to stay the path. They know that they're not quite there yet. This next generation is not it. Microsoft, though, I remember there was a quote by an old Microsoft exec. So nobody who's there anymore, I think it was Don Matrick or something, said, you know, we're going to pull people into the future kicking or screaming if we have to. <laughs> and that was his way of saying, you know what? Even if they're not, people aren't ready for the future, we're going to make them ready for the future. And I've always felt like that was a flawed argument. Public opinion and public readiness is when products are successful, not the other way around. Like you don't, you don't make a product successful by making people need it. <laughs> you, you make a product successful by putting a product out there that people need is typically how it works. Um, even though you could argue, you know, Vince McMahon of the WWE famously had said something along the lines of, you don't give people what you, what they actually want. You give people what they think they want. Or, or the other way around. You don't give people what they think they want. You give people what they actually want, which is the up and down. If you give people what they think they want, it's always to have their heroes win. And that's not, that's not good. That's not, that's not good drama. That's not good television. So you don't do that. And, and so then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Apple Arcade. So Apple Arcade was just announced today. So with this whole Stadia talk going on, we were going to talk just about that. But now let's talk about Apple Arcade which is basically just going to be a, uh, my understanding is it's $10 a month, but then I've heard conflicting rumors that that was a different service, but $10 a month, uh, and then you get access to all these games. However, the access, the games you get access to, which they made it abundantly clear in their keynote, you download them and you can play them offline. They made quite the impact and they, they emphasize that immensely. You will be able to download and play these games no matter your internet connection. So that's interesting. So now you've got Apple, Google, and assumably Microsoft all fighting for this digital future, which is already a little too early. So, and we all know, again, streaming is, is different, but we all know that there can only be so many companies in a market before it's too saturated, especially when you can only get certain experiences on each one. Early console wars, you had the Odyssey, you had the Commodore, you had the Atari, you had all these, uh, the ColecoVision, you had all these devices that people had to buy games for. And, and it was almost too many options. And you couldn't have every system and you couldn't own every game if you didn't have every system. And so there was, there was issues there. They seem to have found that magical number is always like two or three systems in a console war. Um, it's been three now for the last. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess since the 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 PlayStation Two, Xbox, and GameCube generation, I mean, technically you had Dreamcast, PS Two, and then I or, or I mean, yeah, because the the PS One and Saturn and N sixty four, 
I guess, but the Saturn was so out of the game so quickly there. It almost didn't feel like there were three. And then Dreamcast came along late. So technically it was Dreamcast, PlayStation 2, GameCube, and Xbox. And Dreamcast faded so fast. PlayStation 2 dominated everybody. And then you went to just, and then Sega bowed out, and it was just Nintendo. It was the three, the holy, the holy trinity of the of the most recent console wars. So, Apple Arcade coming fall 2019. You download the games, you play them. Uh, it's going to be compatible with Apple TV, iOS devices, iPads. Um, it, it should be pretty cool, actually. I, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Why not? I'm okay with stuff like that. But the future of this, like streaming through your web browser and playing games and hoping there's no input lag and hoping you're close enough to a to like a data center and hoping that you have a good experience. I just don't see it. Um, there are some neat benefits, they say to it, especially me as a YouTuber. They talk about how you could be watching a trailer for the game and then straight up just like click it and sit, hit play now. And it's going to boom. It's going to almost instantly load into your your game. That's pretty cool. I'm not saying there's not cool ideas in the technology. I just don't think we're quite ready for like a worldwide rollout of this. Not to mention that Google's notorious for like letting go of projects early. And so like when a project hasn't been making money for a couple years, they have no problems ditching that project or ditching that idea. And so um, are they going to ditch it? I mean, I hope not, but if it doesn't make a bunch of money for them and, and, and doesn't become like the standard within a couple of years, I think you'll see it go away. Um, the Allo messaging service, Google Plus. I mean, there, there's a, a laundry list of services that were once a thing that weren't profitable and didn't work and weren't didn't become the way to do things that got scrapped. And could you imagine paying $60 for a bunch of games, having a, a library, you know, a, a games that you're allowed to stream and then just losing it all? And that's pretty scary stuff. It's pretty sketchy stuff. I already worry about things like my Steam library one day being gone. But again, I can back that up. I can back that up and uh, and have those games downloaded. GOG gives you the DRM free ones. Steam, uh, I don't know how that would ever work. I mean, Valve claims they have a, a plan in place if they were ever to shut down that they would like release the licenses on everything so you could play at Steam offline or whatever. Don't know how that would all work, but apparently it would. Um, so it's an interesting take. It's our future. But it's a it's a it's a glimpse to see you know what what is possible, and it reminds me of that quote you know it's you know they they stopped and or like like a scientist always you know think about what they can do not what they should do, and should Google be getting into the streaming game market now? I don't know. But if any company can withstand the loss, it's Google. It's uh, ABC or Alphabet. You know, I mean, it's like they they can they can essentially take on a project like this, fail at it and still be fine. Microsoft can take on a project like this, fail and still be fine. Sony, not so much. They have to play it a little more safe. And so we'll kind of see where they go from there. All right. So that is it uh, for the podcast topic today. So I hope you like that. That, that, uh, that's a weird one. You know, um, I, I can't stress enough that like, it's not about being a game store owner that makes me sketch about a product like this. But how kind of like crappy is that, that you could essentially buy a game? I mean, it's like Netflix, you know, like I pay 15 bucks a month or 12 or whatever it is. And I don't expect, I don't own any of that stuff. I don't expect to, I feel like it's a rental service. So if Stadia is 15 bucks a month, I'm just renting games for 15 bucks a month. I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. But if you have to buy them outright, I don't know, man, that, that stuff weirds me out. Um, okay. So let's get to, uh, the user question here. 
so this question uh, was brought to me. Thank you very much for the question. Uh, I was thinking, I'll, let's see here. Um, I'll just kind of, yeah, I'll just read it as it is and, and we'll just let her go. Okay, um, here we go. This question coming in. What are some of the things you wish you knew when you started your business? And what are some of the mistakes you think everyone makes when they start their own business that can be easily remedied or solved? So this one's a little bit different. It's not necessarily a gaming question, but a question about owning my own business. Um, okay. So there's, there's a two parter. So part one, what were some of the things you wish you knew when you started your business? Okay. So I think one of the first things in any business that gets you right away is taxes, right? Because you barely have enough money to pay all your bills. And if you're lucky enough to have made some money at the end of the year, you have to pay in more money to your taxes. So you're trying to make money so you can put some money in the bank and you feel like you're comfortable. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's like, Oh, by the way, you owe us money for taxes. <laughs> and then you're like, Oh shoot. Uh, that's not good. <laughs> so I would say that, but probably the first lesson I learned right away was you can't do everything yourself. And I, I was a manager at GameSoft for many years. I was a good manager in the sense that I had, I made people work hard for me. I didn't do all the work myself. I found a good team. I trained them properly and we had a, we had a synergy. Um, however, when I first started my store, I worked at my store six days a week, 10 hour days for two and a half years by myself. So that's 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 something that took a lot of dedication it took a commitment um it destroyed any sort of personal life i had which honestly wasn't much anyway um i wasn't seeing anybody uh and i was still overweight at that point so i started doing it and then started uh i think i was like that for about a year like after i opened is when i finally started my weight loss journey um and uh which if you don't know i'm and this this is like humble brag sorry but like i lost about 130 pounds 135 pounds total. Um, unfortunately I'm going back up, so I need to like get that under control, but I lost 135 pounds. Uh, I was very, very, very chonky boy. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I didn't have a social life anyway. Um, and I thought, you know what, just commit to it, commit, commit this two and a half, three years, um, and then see what happens. So I committed myself to it. And then I started to get burned out. I won't lie. I started to get burned out only having one day off a week. I was going to the gym every night after work. So I was going to work from nine until eight and then the gym, eight 30 to, to 10. So I was at home maybe an hour or two before having to go to bed every day of the week. And then it was, you know, it was nuts. And then I started to get burned out and I told myself, well, here's the thing, hire somebody to help you. And if you hire somebody and you don't have enough money to pay them and you go out of business. Well, if you kept working by yourself, you were going to burn out and go out of business anyway because you'd quit. <laughs> so it was like, it was kind of like just either, either one, you know, you got this creaky ass thing. It, either, either way it's going to work or it's not. And that's just, that's how it is. Um, and so I hired somebody and I had, I'd been given some bum information when I first, uh, when I first opened my business and uh, a, a friend of mine who is a smart businessman, I think he just miscalculated or maybe he said it, in a weird way and I took it wrong. But I thought he said, when you hire your first employee, you basically have to pay them twice what your hourly rate for them is with all the things like unemployment tax and the extra taxes you pay and all that sort of stuff. That couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, if I opened another store tomorrow, like say I opened a whole new business tomorrow, I'd hire it with somebody right away. I wouldn't do the whole thing by myself. Now I think it worked for me because my customer service skills are kind of like my strength, my number one strength. So when I was the only one at the store, I was completely creating that experience for everybody that came in. I didn't have to worry about anybody having a bad experience because every experience was with me. And so I knew exactly the customer base I was building, which 
was a good one and ended up being great. But um, so that's something I would say. Don't be afraid to hire people, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, like you, you can have people help you out, um, but you'll get better work out of somebody who's committed, who's earning a paycheck. You know, if it's a friend helping you out or someone working for store credit or working on the side, they're not going to commit to you as much as you'd want someone who's like it's their livelihood on the line. So I would say that. Uh, and then uh, what are some of the mistakes you think everyone makes when they start their own business that can be easily remedied or solved? Well, I can't say everybody, but I will say one mistake I hear a lot is that uh, people will say, I opened up my own store because I didn't want to have a boss anymore. I opened up my own business because I wanted to be my own boss. I didn't want to have a boss. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, except that I personally was harder on myself than any boss ever was because I had to be. If you open up your own business and you're not tough on yourself like like a boss would be tough on you, I don't think you're going to make it. You have to do that because once you start to let things slip and you start you stop caring as much and you start to let things go, then then you start to let then your business starts to slip out from under you. And so it's a fear I have. Like I I never want to 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 let go or to to feel like um like I didn't ever get, I didn't get into this so that I didn't have to have a boss. You know what I mean? I got, I, I love the corporate structure. Actually, I am a, I am a, I'm a corporate guy through and through. I can work the ladder. I have no problem having a boss. I have, I love him. Honestly, I love having a boss that I could impress who was like impressed with me and would thank me for all the hard work I was doing. I had none of that with my store. I actually lost one of my favorite things about working in the corporate environment which was I got no positive reinforcement from anybody except myself. And and I had friends who were like, oh, your store's great. You're doing great, man. But it wasn't the same as like having a boss who pays you be like, you're my best manager, you know? Like there's something different about that. So a common mistake people make when they open their own business is thinking they don't have a boss anymore. Well, they do have a boss. I have two bosses. I have myself who's a pain in the ass and I have customers. <laughs> and the customers are my boss because if I don't, if I lose them, I don't have anything. So just a couple of things to keep in mind. If you, if you want to have your own business, great. Don't do it just so you don't have a boss because you have to be your own boss and you have to be a hard ass and you can't let things slip through. In fact, when, you know, when it's your customers on the line and your livelihood on the line, everything means more. It's more than when you just work for a corporate place and you could piss somebody off and they go home and maybe leave you a bad survey. And then you have to explain to your boss how the customer was a jerk or something. You don't have to do that. But when I lose a customer, get a bad review, which doesn't happen very often. And that's why I think when I get one, it hurts so bad because I get one and I'm like, man, that, that sucked because that, that is money I will never have back. That is failure that I cannot fix. And that, uh, and, and it's personal, personal to me. So, so anyway, that's my, uh, that's our user question. So thank you for the question and everyone keep them coming. Uh, I've got a couple banked, but, uh, I like having fresh ones and don't feel like it has to, it can be about my store. It can be about uh, my personal life experience with owning my own business, or it can be about gaming and game news. So whatever you want to whatever you want to talk about. Um, and so lastly, we're going to finish up with our game of the week. Uh, this one, I feel like I might've talked about this on a podcast before, but what I'm doing is I'm going alphabetically through my Genesis games first, then we'll go alphabetically through my NES games. Then we'll go alphabetically through my super Nintendo, then N64 and so on and so forth. This is the only way I know how to do it that I don't forget which ones I've talked about. So if I've talked about this one, I apologize, but I'm going to talk about it again because I absolutely love this game. And it's really fun. It's a Sega Genesis game called Comics Zone. C-O-M-I-X Zone, Z-O-N-E. Comic Zone, think of it as like your classic kind of 2D beat-em-up. Except you don't move up and down on the screen. You just move left to right. And you're fighting through the panels of a comic book. 
it's really, really cool. So imagine a comic book page, you know, like say the top part is a long rectangle. Then you might have a, a long rectangular column going up and down and then maybe a big square. So this, this has you when like you, you beat a bunch of enemies in your column and then you jump from col like from section to section. It's really cool. So that's kind of like the, the shtick is that you're in a comic book. But then besides that, it's just a really good beat-em-up. It is incredibly difficult, though. Uh, oftentimes, I feel like the game beats you up and, and doesn't leave you a lot of, like, um, you know, health refills and stuff like that. And it's only one player. If this game had been two-player, I think it would have really, really kicked butt. Um, but it's really fun. Comic Zone, it's a beat-em-up. Loose Cart, probably, ugh, I haven't looked it up lately, probably about 15 bucks. Complete in box, around 40 50 If it has the music CD, probably closer to 60 70 Um it is a very good game, though. I, of course, have a mint in box copy because I'm nuts. But it is uh, it is awesome. So Comic Zone is the game to have um, to play. That is our game of the week. Thank you, everybody, for always listening and watching. I so, so appreciate it. I know I always say that. We're so close to 4,300 subs on YouTube. If you're listening to this and you haven't, I would love a, subscri a subscribe on YouTube and a follow on Twitch. Hey, you can sub on Twitch as well, but we'll take a follow. We'll take anything we can get. We'll take a like, whatever. Take a comment. Come into our chat and check us out. Um, our So our uh, Twitch page is twitch.tv slash the drop rate, and YouTube is youtube.com slash drop rate um and drop rate is a, a collaborative youtube channel with me and two other gentlemen uh which if you've been listening to this podcast for a while i think starting next week i'm going to start uploading the drop cast that we live stream on twitch every week i'm gonna start uploading that to this channel uh to soundcloud but also which will also get kicked out to itunes so then you can explore that content a little bit because i think it's different enough from this show where it's still fun to listen to plus it's three people bouncing off each other jordan and i going back and forth on some great topics Lots of fun. Uh, and then, like I said, on Twitch, um, we stream that podcast live every Monday night. And normally every Thursday night, my brother and I have been streaming Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Uh, this week, uh, we are not <laughs> because uh, uh, I'm going to a land this weekend, actually. Me and my brother are going to a land. It's going to be awesome. Um, but anyway, thank you. And if you're listening to this on iTunes and you want to listen on SoundCloud, you can go to SoundCloud and look for Game Talk Radio. Or if you're listening to this on YouTube or Twitch or... However you found us, if you want to listen to us in podcast format on iTunes, go to the iTunes podcast app and search for Game Talk Radio and subscribe. And, and leave me, a, leave me a, a rating. I would really love that too. Anybody who listens to this, if you listen on iTunes, leave me a rating, please. The more ratings I get, uh, I think the more I get shown in rotation. And I would love to keep growing this show. I, I hope it's entertaining for you. I know it's entertaining for me to do. So thank you, everybody, as always, for listening and watching. Everybody have a great day. We will talk to you again next week on the next episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.